0: Starting a new series today called Driven. Say with me: one, two, three. Okay. Let's see. If, let's see if anybody else is excited as me about it. Starting a new series this Sunday called Driven. Say it with me: one, two, three. Oh yeah. Okay. Now we're there. Now we're there. Okay. I'll do my best to be short. My best falls short sometimes, but I'll do my best. So, so just the idea of Driven is this: that that every one of us in this room that everybody on this planet is driven by something. There's, there's a reason behind why you do the things you do. How many know that? Like, you just don't get up and do things, and if you are, you're kind of missing out on, on something. But, but being driven means there's something that's pushing me, something that's propelling me, something that's causing me to, to have a motivation to do something about something to make a difference. And the question is, what what drives me? What is driving you? And if you're taking notes, maybe at the top of your your paper there, you might just write, "What drives me?" And I don't expect you to get to the answer in this moment today, but but maybe as you reflect this week and think about this Sunday, don't just don't just think that this Sunday's just for today, because you know we're not Golden Corral Church where you belly up to the bar and just fill yourself on Sunday, and then you just don't eat all week, right? Right. You got to be a self-feeder. So, so as you're taking notes, think about it this week. What's what's driving me? And I would say this: it many times in life, there's maybe something that was driving us at one point that's not driving us today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like you were motivated in a certain direction at one point, and now something else is motivating you. And you could you could look at an athlete, uh, you know, like. Anybody want to win today? Yeah, you don't even know what team I'm talking about, but you want to win, like whoever your team is, right? I I, I want them to. I want my t- my team to win, and I hope that the people on the field want to win too. Are you with me? Like you ever seen an athlete that's kind of out there and they've lost their drive and their motivation, and they really should just quit, or somebody should tell them to quit because it's not very exciting, and by the way, they're probably not going to win. Because there's a drive that will push somebody to perform, to execute, play, or or, or, or whatever it is uh, to win. People that, architects, well, they have some kind of push to build the things they build, the, the, the structures. And I was in uh, uh, York, England uh, many years ago. And in York, England, there's this huge cathedral, 400 years to build. I'm just thinking, you know, after I mean, I know how church people are. After six months, they kind of wear out on doing the thing sometimes. 400 years, people have lived and died and lived and died and lived and died, and they still kept building on that thing because somewhere within them, there was a drive to say, we need to finish this thing. And I think for all of us, it's it's what is the motivation, and then sometimes we experience lack of motivation. Anybody ever had that? Like, like. You just don't have, or or no motivation at all. You just don't feel motivated. It, it it happens, like you know, like like diet, like what we eat. Like somebody's like, you know, I want to get healthy and do all these things, and then and then like what happens is like the Snicker bar is more motivating than 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 the the piece of lettuce. You know what I'm saying? Or like I think you know I'd like to work out, but then I think, man, that sounds hard, and I'm kind of liking easy a little bit. What's motivating us, right? What's motivating us? And sometimes it can be wrong motivation. Sometimes it can be deceptive motivation where we're deceived by what's motivating us. Anybody ever opened the, you're at the dealership and you open the car door and that new car smell kind of hits you? Because it kind of smells good. I don't. It's probably toxic, but, you know, it kind of smells. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they put some magic scent in there that makes you want to buy that thing, but like, oh. And then you, you, anybody ever bought a new car and you pull the trigger and you bought the new car? And then, like, I don't know how many weeks it is, in the mail arrives a payment book. Like it's so big, like like the mail, the mailman or mail person, whatever you call them now, carrier, ask you to help them carry it in. Like, I'm playing a little bit, but, but it's thick unless they have to unless it's so big they have to send it to you in multiple installments. And the motivation that you had with a new car smell, the book didn't come with that new car smell. On it, right? It's just a payment book, and the motivation seems like, why did I do that for? In fact, they call it they call it buyer's remorse, like when you get something you bought it, and now you're like, oh, I gotta, I actually gotta pay for it. And any of us can be driven by wrong motives, wrong desires. We can be pushed, and maybe settle for the good instead of better, or settle for good instead of the best. And then we kind of hang out here and never get to where we could be. And as I'm going to read in just a moment in Judges chapter 13, just set it up real quickly. Israel is a nation who continues in a cycle of, like, they are thankful for God and follow Him, and then they choose not to believe, and they take up idols and start worshiping them, and then God sends some kind of judgment on them, and they end up in bondage to some other nation. And then they cry out and repent and say, we're sorry. And then God sends a judge, or here's, here's a better word that might help us in today's world, uh, a deliverer for them. And that deliverer works, and now they turn back to God and feel so good, and then they f- go right back in the same cycle. In the book of Judges, if you've never read the Bible, I'm not saying jump in the book of Judges. You know, read something else probably first read the bible and I'll talk about it in a moment but it's maybe not the first place you start but I would just say this it's just the lowest of lows for Israel Israel's is God's chosen people just like you are God's chosen people in fact the world right now is God's chosen people he gave his son John 3:16 everybody here knows it he gave his only son so that we could have a relationship with him and an eternity with him and not die, and not perish in our own sins and and and, wrongdoing. and so so we're his chosen uh, like Israel and um, and so we sometimes repeat that same cycle where we're like, oh, yes, and then we fall back, and then stuff happens, and we're crying out again. And so the, judges, the book of Judges, there's seven major uh, judges, that, and we're going to talk about one of them today. And I think that it's so important that you see the cycle they have in America. We kind of do a cycle every four years you know, I don't know if it's half the people or whatever, like they're upset about the way things are, so they think, well, and they'll pray about it and everything and hope that God sends a new person, and then four years later they're faced with it again and trying to get, and when really it doesn't matter who the person is, right, the deliverer's already came, and his name's Jesus, and you're not going to get better than him, and he is the answer for our woes and for our problems in our nation. So Judges 13, pick it up in verse 1, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Everybody say 40 years. That's a long time. Now, verse 2, there's a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Verse four, now therefore, please be careful to not drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands out of the hand of the Philistines. This passage here is referring to Samson. Samson is, out of the seven major judges in the book of Judges, he is the most popular one. In fact, uh, if I say the name Samson, well, people know, you know who it is, right? Right? I mean, even there's people beyond the four walls of this church that if they hear that name, they recognize something about Samson. You know, he's, the, he's maybe some level what people would call the, the Jewish Hercules, like he's just this strong man. In fact, if I was illustrating today, you know, what Samson look, looks like, maybe we would think of somebody like The Rock, like Dwayne Johnson that would come and stand here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I can't do it because I'm preaching, so I couldn't be Samson, but but I'm just saying we, we picture and envision this strong man who has great strength and ability, and he may have looked just like that. Or maybe he was just a regular-looking guy because it says this, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's when he did these incredible, mighty uh, uh, feats of strength, if you want to call them that. And Samson had a life that, where he was living um, a high life by some people's standards. I mean, he had celebrity and fame. Even the enemy knew who he was. The enemy feared him. The enemy knew that he was trouble to them. And here, as I just read these five verses, it's kind of the introduction of his birth and him coming on the scene an answer to, God's, to, or to people's prayers, God answering that there's somebody coming here. And, uh, and, and the thing about Samson that I look at him and I think, well, what's his motivation? What's the drive that Samson has? What's driving him? And I thought about, you know, when I see his life, I mean, his life is summed up in relationships with women. Lustful. There's a lust drive that he has. And not only that, but it seems like he's kind of prideful. Lust and pride seems like they're the driving forces. Now, I say this, he's an answer to the people's prayers. He comes on the scene right, as, a, as an answer to be the deliverer for Israel. They've been in bondage, enslaved to another nation for 40 years. And by the way, 40 years is a long time. Some of you in here are not 40 years old. 40 years ago, man, I was like in my 20s. You see, You see the difference in 40 years is a long time. 40 years, and what's driving him? I mean, when I look at Samson's life, what, a song came, just the way my, way, way my mind works, a song came to me from the 80s. It's a dire straight song, and in it it says, money for nothing and your chicks for free. That's Samson's life. Like, he just got it. Like, he was born into it. Right? He's, he's got the stuff that he wants and he needs. People around him do whatever he wants them to do. He's got this incredible strength, and he's got women, all the things maybe that some people would say, oh, that's what I want, depending on what's driving you. But it's undeniable his birth and what God was doing. Two times an angel shows up. I read one of them to you. And not only do they just show up, show up but they give him a unique covenant that you can't find, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find others in the Bible that are just like this. Certainly John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. That's pretty cool. Jesus, we could spend a lot of time, we will in December, talking about his birth, right? It's heralded by angels and people that travel afar to come and see him. And all you know, shepherds that, that come and worship and all these things. But, but Samson, he's a normal guy. And he comes on the scene with angelic visitations, but not only that, but with a covenant before he's ever born. I mean, before he ever comes out, the angel says, "Okay, don't, don't, don't drink any wine to his mother." And then it goes on the second visit, not to even eat anything of the vine, and that's a Nazarite vow. So, in the book, in in the uh, book of Leviticus, we get description of a Nazarite vow, and it's this idea that that you're not have anything from the vine, no, no, no grapes, no raisins, no grape juice, no wine, nothing that's come off the vine. For Samson's life, he should never, ever, according to his vow that he's going to be born into, ever have any contact with grapes or any product of grapes. And that's what that was a part of the vow. Other part of it was that he can't touch any dead things. It's part of a Nazarite vow. He breaks it in his life, pride thinking maybe he can do it, it did not matter. The other thing was, and you hear it here, no razor ever come upon his head. So his hair's never cut. So at 20 or 21, when he becomes the the judge in Israel, his hair's never been cut. When he lays his head down in the lap of Delilah, his hair's never been cut. It's grown all of his life. And part of that understanding is this, because I think you gotta understand that Samson's life had a purpose. Everybody say purpose. It had a purpose. And, and like Sam, Samson, your life has a purpose as well. In fact, if you're ever going to be driven in the right direction in your life, it starts with understanding that God has a purpose for your life. And that's everybody in here say every person under the sound of my voice. say every person on this planet. God didn't make a mistake and create somebody without purpose. He, didn't, he doesn't make junk. He doesn't make something that's dis- discarded. And that means this, that the purpose for your life means this, that you have value and purpose on this planet. So you're not just surviving or existing or somehow trying to e- eke out some kind of uh, uh, existence, but you're here on Purpose. And that purpose is not all about you, it's more about the people that God's going to bring into your life. I, I love what, uh, what William Barclay said. He said, there are two important dates in everyone's life, the day we were born and the day that we discover why. Because you'll never experience the best in your life until you understand what it means to be driven by purpose. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, David wrote and said, You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. When I read that, I read what David's saying. He said, Fearfully and wonderfully made you know when i hear fearfully i mean fearfully we like in today's world we know fearfully means okay scared afraid but 16:11 had a little different meaning and they they were trying to get closest to the hebrew that they can could and so fearfully actually when rendered from the hebrew means with great reverence with heartfelt interest and with respect and wonderfully means means this from the hebrew unique and set apart in other words it's important that we understand that that we have been created and made with great reverence, heartfelt interest, and respect to be unique and set apart. That's how God made you. You. Sitting right here on Sunday morning, He created you with intention. And you could say, well, God, you know, He's produced billions of people, and He has. And we could almost think, well, He's just rolling them out like robots off an assembly line, like some kind of mechanical action. He's just, just you know, all these people that, that are just being churned out. No, God has given special attention to each person, that each one of us is individually handcrafted with a purpose in mind for our life. And until you get there, well, you won't get anywhere. You'll be like Samson just kind of wandering around thinking, well, I want this, give me that, give me some of that. I've noticed that maybe you, you've been there, maybe you've held firstborn child in your arms. But I've watched sometimes as these young parents will have that baby for the first time, and they'll hold it. And it's almost like a feeling of awe, a sense of awe just drops on them. Because, because it's not because that baby can do anything better than they can do. It's newborn. It doesn't do anything yet except ask for your attention. And it can't even verbalize that. No, it's because of the uniqueness of being fearfully and wonderfully made that they hold that baby in all. And by the way, it's not just the firstborn. But, and I, I think it's so important that, that, that we grasp this idea that, that you were created with great reverence and you are created with heartfelt interest and with respect and you are unique and you're set apart. You're not just like everybody else. And here's the purpose. I'll give you the first great purpose of your life is that you become like Jesus. That you become like Jesus. That you have his character. That you have his outlook on other people. In fact, it says this in Romans 8.29 in the Passion Translation. I love it the way it just kind of makes it real plain here. For he knew all about us before we were born and destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means that Jesus is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like us. In other words, if you can grasp this, that you are destined, some versions use the word predestined, to become the image of God's only son, to look like Jesus in the way that you respond and act to a world. I think it's important that we grasp that that's the first place where purpose starts, And and by the way, and then there's a unique purpose for every one of us in our lives, the way that we'll look and the way that we'll act and the way that we'll do. And I think when you understand that purpose, uh, it's much like the study that was done. They took 50 95-year-olds and over and asked them the question. And by the way, if I'm around somebody 95 and older, I'm listening. You know what I mean? They just know stuff that I I have never even figured out. They know stuff I've never even thought about figuring out. And so they ask him this question, and, and they asked, there's the question. They said, if you could live life, live your life over again, what would you do differently? And that's a good question. Top three answers. Number one, they said, if I had life to do over again, I would reflect more. I want to tell you, in our world where we're busy, 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 anybody busy? anybody got stuff to do? anybody got stuff waiting on you that you need to get done, that you haven't done? Anybody got a garage you need to clean out or, or, you know, a yard you need to do something to or, or a project that you've discarded or some painting that needs to be done or firewood that needs cut or, or, you know, what they call a honey-do honey, honey, uh, list. You know, stuff that, that needs to get done that you've not gotten done because we're busy. Anybody busy? I mean, I've not done it yet today, but I feel like doing it. Look at your neighbor and just say, we're busy. Yeah. We're busy. We're busy people, busy with stuff. And problem is we get so busy and hurried and all the stuff that's happening, sometimes we never sit down and just think and reflect on life and what's going on in our life, sometimes even what God has done. Because, you know, that one time that I got away, I probably shouldn't have got away. That one time that that thing should have killed me, but somehow God spared me. And maybe I didn't even acknowledge that and to sit down and say, God, thank you for all the things that you've done in my life. Thank you for what you're going to do tomorrow that I don't even know because I haven't encountered it yet. And, and those 95-year-olds said, we just stop and, and, and think about some stuff and reflect more. Secondly, they said, if I had to do it over again, I would risk more. Well, that's, that's, that's a reality, isn't it? Anybody look back over your life, and don't start crying or anything, but look back over your life, and, like, you missed it back there because you didn't want to take the risk, and you're like, man, I wish I would have done that. There's cars that I didn't buy. This is simple, just a little thing. It's not an important thing, but, like, that I didn't buy that I wish I had bought and just kept it till now. That 65 Mustang that guy wanted $225 for in 1983, I wish I just bought that thing because it would be worth a lot. That would be a great investment, right? Risk more. I just do not want to take the risk. That, that, that uh, degree or that, that decision, that business or whatever it is, we just maybe didn't take the risk. I, I'd say this, that there's a whole lot of people that I've talked to that have told me this before. I wish that I would have started following Jesus a lot sooner. I've never. Now, I, I just had a birthday. I'm 57 years old. I've never in all my time living have ever heard anyone tell me. I wish I had waited a a little longer before I made that decision to follow Jesus and kind of just hung out in the world a little longer. Nobody's ever said that. Everybody's always said the opposite. They're glad that they took the risk and said, you know what, I'm going to leave all behind and just follow Jesus and see what he has for my life, and I'm going to take the risk and just do it. If I had third one, if I had it to all over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Because I want to tell you, when you're gone, you're gone. I don't know that. I've stood at the graveside so many times. I've, 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 I've been with people, you know, that it's a grandparent, and, and they're crying and weeping. But, but their grandparents, I mean, their grandchildren might not even know who their grandparent was. You know what I'm saying. Like, if I ask you who your great-great-grandparents, unless you've been on Ancestry.com or something, you probably can't name them. Because in this world, people get forgotten. Tell me who you know in the 1300s. The 1100s, right? There's millions of people that lived and died, and we don't know one of them. Because it's like this, you go away. But you know what? There's things that you can leave, not here because of just who you are, but because of your purpose. I think about the name Forrest Ritchie to a whole lot of people. You may not know that name, but he's the founder of this church. And I stand here simply because he followed God's purpose for his life. But you're here in a room because he followed God, right? Something living on after he's gone. And I, I just help you to understand that when you know your purpose, you know what is not your purpose, so you can stop the distraction of trying to be something that is not in your wheelhouse and trying to do something that you were never designed to do. You have to shed the toxic distractions that are in your life and allow the divine spark of God's purpose to be the reality of your life every day. And listen, as long as we have breath in our bodies, we have the ability to flourish. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like somebody says, well, I'm old now and I just don't know. And I'm like, at any age, you can ignite your passion for your purpose. Pick up right where you're at and grab hold of the purpose that God has for your life. If you're still here, God's purpose is still real for your life. You say, but I got this thing going on. I got this problem. I get it. I get nobody in here is perfect. I did a series several years ago, no perfect people allowed. Because if you're perfect, you're probably with the wrong crowd because we're all flawed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, And so the idea is none of us have got it perfect. But we start right where we're at, the the, the facet of life, the capacity of life that we're at right now. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, that I may know Jesus, and know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In other words, Paul's saying, I know that I've got a purpose for my life, and I know that it's in Jesus. He says in verse 12, that same chapter, that that he says it, says it like this in the latter portion of that verse, that I'm trying to apprehend that which has apprehended me. I'm trying to lay hold of that which uh, laid hold of me. And for Samson, I wish I could tell you that was what he did, but you just don't see it in his life. Samson's a guy that you don't see a lot of conversations with God. Moses, yeah. David, yeah. Abraham, yeah. I can name some others, but Samson, it doesn't seem like. There's one time in Judges 15. In fact, you could read these four chapters this week, 13 through 16, uh, about Samson. But Samson is uh, tired and and thirsty, and he just thinks he's going to die, and so he cries out to God. But other than that, you'd be hard-pressed to find him having any kind of communication with God except to this final prayer that we'll talk about in a moment. And I think it's important that you're like Samson in that you have a purpose, but you should be unlike Samson in that you must cultivate your relationship with God. Jesus didn't come to die on the cross, beaten, nailed to a cross, crown of thorns on his head, so that we could just be a good person, so that we could just go to heaven and not go to hell. That's not That's not what it was about. I mean, yeah, you can make it about that, and that's a part of it, but it's more about the relationship that you can have with God. Not be a religious person. Not be somebody, well, I go to church on Sunday and sing a few songs, and I even learn that one, and give a little money in the offering, and listen to the preacher, and hope that he finishes early, and and then go home. And then I go back next Sunday. Not a religious person. A person that has a relationship. Millions of people today will show up at religious service They'll go through even a ritual. And, yes, those can be parts of our faith. That's never what God was after. God was after your heart, relationship. And, and in Revelations 3, Jesus has given a word to the Laodicean church. So it's people that already believe. And we've, we've The verse I'm about ready to read, we've used it for people that don't know God for so many times, and he was saying it to people that believed. Because you can believe and still not have relationship with him. And so he says in verse 20 of chapter 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In other words, if you can believe, but it's more than just believing. It's allowing me in your life so that we can have relationship. I was a kid, my grandma had that picture on her wall. That blonde-headed, blue-eyed Jesus knocking on the door. Anybody seen that picture? I mean, it's a good picture. I'm not saying that. But but it's, it's illustrating that idea. And if you ever get a chance to look at it again, there's no, there's no knob on the outside of that door because only you can allow him into your life, right? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. So it means it's an all-in proposal. right? Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 said, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so then what does it look like? What does life and, and and cultivating that relationship look like? So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in Thanksgiving. So 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 I was uh um, see if I still got them. Yeah. So my I had a birthday just recently and yesterday we were here at prayer at nine and my granddaughters happened to be here. And so I'm up here leading people in prayer and I walk off and people are praying in groups and things, and so I walk off and and uh, Sophia, she's seven, and she came up to me because they're celebrating my birthday yesterday. And so she came up to me and she gave me this uh, personally made card. It's got GT. It's, they call me GT. I'm a sportier version of Grandpa. It's got a big heart, then a little heart inside with a cross on it. And I, you know, I don't know. I didn't interpret all that, but maybe she's got. Well, I don't have time to do it right now. But and then it says Happy birthday, GT. I love you g t love Sophia and that neat? Yeah. so then Lucia I don't know if she saw if she was watching Sophia do it or or what, but then she gave me a car, gives me a card, and she's five, and she said, i love i t I'm gonna be honest, I couldn't do that when I was five kids are smarter today, aren't they like like when I was in kindergarten, we were like painting finger painting, taking naps and stuff you know like, and then on the back or inside of it then it's got and it was a little dark in here, so I'm looking at it, and I said, oh somebody there she said yeah that's me and then then she said kind of this is her i'm paraphrasing but she has the hair and then i don't have any hair on me so and then olivia comes to me she said close your eyes it's okay and then she i feel something come in my hand and it's a connect card for prayer request that And she's got something that I'm trying to figure out. I think it might be a person. It doesn't have any hair, though, so it could be me. And then I think maybe she signs her name like I kind of signed mine. But anyways, she's two. Now, here's the thing. The reason they did that is because of the cultivation of relationship. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it takes time to invest into a relationship. It means that, that you're, you're interacting and communicating and doing all these things so that, so that there is this uh, love and care kind of thing that goes on. And, and I think uh, so many times, even with one on one human relationships, we miss this idea of the time factor that's involved. There is a time factor involved. And then there's a giving of yourself. I mean, I've held teacups, I've had dolls. I never played with dolls any time in my life until I had granddaughters. I, I did have a tea party with Sam Samantha one time when she was young, but I just never was the doll kind of playing person. But I've held the dolls with them. Sometimes they give me naked dolls and try to put clothes on them, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so, and then I've lost more tic-tac-toe games in the last few years, than I ever lost in my lifetime, because I like to win. my, my drive—I want—I want to win. I want to knock you out and you lose and I win, and then just have some fun with it, right? In fact, I got a chessboard I've had in my office, and and I hardly—you know—nobody ever wants to play chess very much. It doesn't seem like so. It's just set up in there, and it's kind of nice. And they keep wanting me to show them how to play chess, show them how to play chess. I'm like, I don't think you can get it, but but I'm showing Sophia all the moves and how the pieces work and everything, so then we, she said, I want to play a game. So, I said, okay. I said, so we're playing, and she ends up beating me. I mean, I can't win anything against them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I almost had her, and then she got me. I'm just saying this, and I hope we get, we can get this today, that that it means this, that, that there's a there's nuances of a relationship where you give of yourself. And in the relationship, cultivating a relationship with God, unlike Samson, you're giving of yourself. And it starts here. Let's be real simple. It starts with repent, right? Repentance is this. You're moving in this direction, and repentance means changing directions. God's there, not there. And so you turn around, and you go toward him instead of away from him, changing directions, right? We kind of make that a a churchy word, repent. It really simply is changing directions to go to God and then the Bible says this repent and be baptized baptism is the outward sign of what's happened inside of me your relationship with God is between you and him right it starts there but then because of that you want others to know anybody know what I'm talking about and so baptism is the way that you say you know what? I've made this decision in my life to follow Jesus, and I want everybody—my family, my friends, the church, the world, whoever it is—I want them to know. And and you know, and that's that's why baptism is there so that you can share it with everybody. In fact, next Sunday we're baptizing some people. If you've not been baptized in water, uh, you can you can let them know at the tent, or you can go to the app and, and register to be baptized. You can show up next Sunday, and we'll baptize you. I'm just saying this that it's it's that step. I was talking to a guy one time, and he said he's in his 20s, and he said, we're talking about his, his decision to follow Jesus, and it happened like when he was 12 or something. He said, but you know, I never got baptized. I said, well, we got water. right? Don't make it a hard, don't make it a heavy thing. It's just following the Lord and, and that outward expression. And then prayer. Prayer is so important to cultivating relationship with God. It's not just a formality of eloquent words and, and saying big things and, and rehearsing lines to say, you talk to God just like you talk to anybody else. I mean, there, there, there's things that develop in your prayer life as you pray, but, but it's, again, it's given time. And I believe this, that if you honor God with your time, he will honor you with his voice. If you honor God with your time, God will honor you with his voice. And by that I mean this, he'll speak to you. Because prayer is not just a monologue, it's a dialogue, it's a conversation that you talk to him and he will speak to you. And all of us need to develop a prayer life that's cultivating that relationship. Secondly, read and study God's word. This book has the answers that you need within its covers. Read and study. By the way, if you had a friend that wrote a book about their life and you were in it, wouldn't you read it? Like, I want to know what they said about me. And I would just say this, the Bible says a whole lot about you. Sometimes you got to read it and find out about you. What does it say? I want to tell you, when you find out what it says about you, it'll change your whole life. But I I do believe this, without devoting time to this, without a devotional life, you'll just have a wrecked emotional life. Right? When When you get in a devotional life and you work on that and continue to work on it, it'll change the emotions that you experience in your life. Read and study God's Word. Join a group. Get people in your life that are going the same direction you're going. I know mean, people are like elevators. You invite people in your life, they're either going to take you up or they're going to take you down. I got in trouble when I was young because I was with the wrong people. Anybody ever done that? Like they said, hey, we're going to do this. And I thought, I knew all along. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. And then I did it. Because nobody wants to get in trouble by themselves. Maybe a psychopath or a serial killer or something, but but most people like they don't get in trouble all alone, right? And it, so relationships can pull you down, but they can also push, push you. They can also push you up. Around here we do groups. In fact, you can go on the app, um, uh, the church center app, or you can talk to people at the tent. They can give you instruction on the groups that are available. There's several. Um, different types of groups that you can get in that will help you in your in cultivating your relationship with God. Serve somebody else. That's a way that you'll cultivate your relationship with God. Seek out your spiritual gifts. It's a way that you'll cultivate that relationship. And, and we do steps. Steps this Wednesday. We got steps in October on the first and the eighth. And steps is just a way for you to connect at Elevation Church. But it's really more than that. It's to help you get to a place where you can serve other people and where you can find out the spiritual gifts that are in your life because you have spiritual gifts in your life. God has gifted every person in this house with a spiritual gift that, that he's put in your life so that you can do what you couldn't do on your own. Judges 16, I'll read this final passage here. Samson, he's, he's been in the lap of Delilah three times. Delilah's asked him, What's the secret to your strength? And he'd tell her something different. He'd lie to her. Well, you put me in these new cords and I can't break those. And she'd wake him up. Hey, the Philistines are here. The Philistines are the enemy. He'd get up, shake his stuff. Those things ain't going to stop him. Three times, three different times, he threw three different things. And one of them was weaving his hair into a loom. And finally, she's no doubt. I don't know, in tears, if you love me, you'd really tell me what the secret is. Why won't you tell me? I feel like you made a mockery out of me. That's so he tells her. He just goes all out. Here's the secret to my strength. There's never been a razor on my head. If you, if my hair's cut, I'll lose my strength. Now, I've read this story so many times over the years. At least 25 times, probably I don't know, probably 35 or 45, I don't know. I read it a few this past week. And every time I read it, I'm always rooting for Samson, even though I know how it goes. I'm rooting for him to make the right decision. Don't tell her. Like, are you clueless? Dude, three times you gave her the wrong answer, and she said the Philistines are here. And you're still following along in the same uh, uh, lustful, prideful drive that you have, and he just gives her the secret. While he's sleeping, she cuts off his hair. The, Philistine, the Philistines are laying in; they're lying in wait, ready to, to pounce on Samson. They come out. Samson gets up like he normally does, shakes himself. But this time, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord has departed from him. Wasn't like the other times. He thought it would be just like the every other time. And they got him. They got him. They arrested him. They took him. They took him off, and the Bible says that they gouged out his eyes. I'm just telling you, that's a like a lot of things can happen to you. They don't sound like that's a pleasant thing at all, right? They gouged out his eyes because if you if you blind him, well, even though he's strong and he's done all these things, well, he's not going to be able to see you. So, it just and then they enslave him and put him in a in a, in a grinder where he's like like um, uh, a mule. Or an oxen would be tied to a grinder. And in those times, it would be moving around in a circle just continually all day long as a slave, blind, and all you've got is to go around in a circle. And, and from what I understand, talking to a few people that have lost all their hair and it grow back, they say it's about six months to maybe a year. Could have been a little longer. Samson, scholars think around 20, 21, when he began to, to, to reign as a judge, and uh, by the amount of time that he reigned, it looks like it's about 20 years from what the word tells us. So he's 40, 41, maybe 38, 39, maybe 45, but he's somewhere in that, that age. And, and now he's enslaved by the enemies that hate him. His, his existence on earth is just to move around in a circular motion all day, pushing this heavy grindstone, and he's blind. Samson has got to a low point in his life. I mean, a guy that had angels visit his parents to say that he's coming, and now here he is. I mean, I, I just—I I guess that most of us in this room, your parents weren't visited by angels before you came onto this planet. Are you with me? I mean, just look at this guy and what he's had and, and the Spirit of God working in his life and, and just these incredible um, ability that, that came by God working, and now he's tied to this thing, moving around every day. And now it's got to the lowest point because the Philistines have gathered in their temple to Dagon, the fish god. By the way, if you're going to worship an idol, that's a pretty sad one, right? The fish god. And they're, they're in there, and uh, they're like thanking their god for delivering them from this enemy, this troubler, and so they said, go get him so we can laugh and make fun and watch him entertain us. First, verse, verse 26 of chapter 16 says, then Samson said to the lad, to the young boy that's attending to him who held him by the hand, he said, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. And now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. So thousands of people in this place. And then Samson called to the Lord. Here's the prayer of Samson. Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Oh, God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. Samson has just drifted into a point of no purpose of life. He's messed up. I mean, he just has. When it's, I love it about the Bible, that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things and kind of gloss over things. Because if I was writing a book and I wanted to put heroes in it, I may not tell all the bad stuff. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think it's one of the ways that you know the Bible is is not some made-up kind of thing, that it's true because it gives you the good and bad. It doesn't hide the sins of the, of the great. And for Samson here, he's messed up. I think you need to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this today. That God hasn't given up on you. He hadn't given up on Samson. Now, now, it looks like, it looks like for all uh, intents and purposes that, that Samson has messed up so bad that, that, that he's not going to, nothing's going to come of his life, but no, God hadn't given up on him. When I was a youth, youth pastor and uh, we had a youth choir and we sang a song, he's the God of a second chance. And one day I had the revelation, some people need more than two chances. Are you with me? He's the God of another chance. You say, I've blown it, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. He'll he'll give you grace. You're like, yeah, but you don't know how many times I've blown it. You don't know what I've done. And you know what? I don't even care. God's bigger than the stuff that you've done. His grace will, will, will uh, outgo, uh, surpass all of the stuff and the junk that's happened in your life, whether you did it, somebody did it to you, whether it's just a mistake or whether it was a willful wrong decision, whether it's something the devil's done or whether it's something that, that, that is, just seems like coincidence, I'm just telling you today, His grace is bigger than that stuff. And you, and you see it, you know, Moses, man, Moses, if you mention Moses' name, if it's a Jewish person... Or a Muslim person, or a Christian person. Everybody knows who Moses is. In fact, Moses, one of the greatest leaders that ever walked on this planet. He, he led all of those all of the children of Israel into up to the Promised Land. And Moses, credible leader, and yet Moses was a murderer. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Moses, maybe 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 you're not the person because look what you did. No. God didn't give up on Moses. I mean, David David is an incredible king. I mean, David, um, the, the, the Israeli people still look to David as this incredibly great king who, who did so well and, 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 and the good things that he did. And, and the, um, Jesus, right, came as, as a fulfillment of, of David's throne. And, and, but David, well, he messed up. Says a time of war when kings go out. David stayed at home. He's looking over on the rooftop and he sees a naked Bathsheba and he sends uh, for his his men to bring her to him. She gets pregnant. He calls his her husband back from back from fighting and and gives him a meal and says go be with your wife and and uh and he's just not willing to do that. Uriah who's a Hittite. He's he's got more honor than David does and he and he sends him back to the front and says, put him at the front of the line. And when he's out there, pull back so that he's out there by himself and gets killed. I mean, David messed up so big. And yet David was a God, a man after God's own heart. David was a pursuer of God. And David said it like this in verse uh, 2 of chapter 40. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Some of your Bibles say out of a, a desolate place, out of a, out of a dangerous pit. And out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on the rock, and he established my goings. What did God do? He reached down and picked David after he'd messed up and blown it and set him on a rock and gave him direction. Samson he's listed in hebrews chapter 11 which is called the the like the faith hall of fame he's listed there with moses and with david and and with abraham and isaac and jacob and all of them because samson made a decision i'm not going to stay in this place that i'm at but i'm going to surrender to what god has for me i'm going to realize that this isn't final that my failure is not final 1992 the Olympics were in Barcelona, Spain. And there was a guy that was running on a relay team for uh, the UK for Britain, um, and he uh, he had done well running with them as a four by four hundred, and so he was on the last leg. His name was Derek Redmond. You ever heard of Derek Redmond? Oh, it's okay. You can go watch the video later. Don't watch it now. You can find it, Derek Redmond, and. Uh, I mean, he, and they were good. They were going to win gold. They just were. They'd, they'd won world championships twice. They'd won European championships twice. And Here they are on the Olympic stage, and they're running, and they're handing off the baton. And Derek grabs the baton, and he starts to run, and they know he's going to bring it home for them. He's fast. He's got skills, and Derek is running, and he gets down around one of the turns, and when he goes around the turn, all of a sudden, he grabs the back of his leg. He'd ripped, tore his hamstring. And, and as, he, as he's there on the track, he just goes down. I mean, he's down on the ground, almost just flat, like, like maybe he's going to crawl. Because in those guys that are running at that level, they're not, they're not going to just quit. They've been conditioned to get across the finish line. He knows that the other three members of his team and his whole nation is hoping that he would win. And now he can tell by whatever's happened that he's he just can't. And he's getting up, and he's kind of hobbling a little bit. And then off to the side of the screen comes an older gentleman. He's coming out of the stands. And he walks out on the track, and he goes up. And, and the guy's in the green jackets, the security. You can go ahead and start playing. The security. They start, they start coming up to him and saying, Sir, you've got to leave the track. You're not allowed out here. And he's just waving them on, waving them on. And if you watch the video later on, you'll see him mouth the words. Because he gets out there and he gets. he's he's under Derek and he's he's helping him walk. And they're just, they're, there's there's no hope they're going to win anything. He's helping him walk. And you can see him mouth the words. Leave me alone. This is my boy. It was his father that stepped down, high up in the stands, came down to where he was, helped him get up, and helped him cross the finish line. Now it's recorded; right, he didn't—he didn't, he didn't it said he never finished the race because he was helped to get there. But his father saw him right where he was at and came to help him. And I just want you to know today that your heavenly father saw you in your despair. In your depression, in the place that you felt like you'd fallen and everybody was passing you by and nobody was stopping to help. And he came out of the stands, wrapped himself in flesh. The Bible says his name was Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus came. And he got a hold of you right where you are at. It doesn't matter how low you've gone. I'm mean, not I look at Samson and say, how low will you go, Samson? Turn, get out of that, get out of Delilah's house. Can't you see where this is going? Samson continued to step further and further into, into defeat. But God didn't give up on Samson. God's not giving up on you. And like Derek Redmond's father. He sent Jesus to come alongside of you and pick you up and get you across the finish line. There's hope for you today. There's hope for you today. No matter how bad you feel like you messed it up, you've not went too far. You've got outside of God's grace, God's reaching, God's reaching for